Hello, this is Dr. Gary Sherman, the Heart Guy, and I welcome you to our exciting and informative podcast titled The Heart Guy Presents the Heart of the Matter, bringing you interesting discussions and conversations related to the vast and important subject of heart disease, heart failure, organ disease, and everything related to that in today's ever-changing world. I'm extremely honored to have as my special guest today an inspiring contributor to our global organ donor advocacy community, Dr. Giotti Brar. Dr. Brar is a transplant nephrologist and has been a consultant at Amaltas Med. She is a clinician, former medical director of a dialysis clinic in the rural Midwest, a tech entrepreneur, and a mother. Dr. Brar specializes in nephrology, hypertension, and transplant nephrology, and our mission is to improve equity and access to healthcare globally, especially for the underserved. Dr. Bra has volunteered on American Society of Transplantation's trainee and young faculty community of practice, as well as women's health community of practice. Dr. Bra is a fellow of the American Society of Nephrology. Dr. Bra, welcome to the Heart Guy Presents the Heart of the Matter. Thank you, Gary, for having me. Sure. Oh, this is going to be very interesting, I'm sure. I have so much that I want to know about kidney disease. So just as a little introduction, where did you grow up and when did you know that you wanted to be a doctor? I grew up in India, in the northern city of Chandigarh. My parents were physicians, both of them. And so when I turned 16 and it was time for me to choose what field I wanted to go into, I chose medicine first to pursue medical school. And then I picked up nephrology when I was an intern in 2005-2006 in India. India has a very different health system. Rather, most of dialysis at that time was self-pay. And I saw very unfortunate deaths of 28-year-olds who just died in front of us in the emergency room because they could not afford dialysis. Mm. I know, having visited India, that while it's a lovely country and there's so many exquisite things to see uh, and do in India, there's a, a certainly a great population of people that are underserved uh, because of the poverty that exists. So it's very challenging, I, I imagine, to practice in India. Yes, it crushes your soul. But uh, thankfully, there is now insurance there since um, the last few years. So hopefully things are a little bit better, but it's all about implementation of the laws that differentiates that country from the U.S. Yeah, so yeah. We just have to wait and see. Yeah, and, and, and while there's poverty in our country, also one only has to visit India to see the extreme areas of poverty that do exist uh, in some parts of the country. And, and I, I would imagine that it would be wonderful if everybody got to visit India so that they can see uh, the beauty and at the same time appreciate um, what we have in, in the United States and in most of our country in terms of what is available to us. So, um, But I know that, th that things are improving in India uh, all the time. So it's, it's positive and the, and the future is, is positive, I'm sure. I have come to know that many people with kidney disease are born with the predisposition for it, having inherited polycystic kidney disease, for example. Uh, but how do most people find that they are having kidney disease? Most common causes of kidney disease in the United States are diabetes and hypertension, uh, high blood pressure. Most people will not know that they have chronic kidney disease. Chronic kidney disease is something that is slow and does not have symptoms. So your doctor 
your primary care doctor once he runs lab work on you would be able to tell that you have some chronic kidney disease once it is worse and beyond what they can manage they may refer you to a kidney doctor or a nephrologist so a chronic kidney disease is this something that can be prevented like what practices would we have to prevent kidney disease from occurring in the first place i think the general rules of being healthy apply to prevention of chronic kidney disease as well the diabetes and hypertension if you have those trying to control those to the prescribed levels by a doctor are the best way to prevent chronic kidney disease there is a certain subtype of chronic kidney disease that is age related and unfortunately we cannot stop the advancement of age so that is something that sometimes cannot be prevented but mostly if your kidney disease is from age that usually does not progress to dialysis so i would say just follow whatever you and your doctor have decided to control your diabetes and high blood pressure and you will be on a good path to prevent chronic kidney disease and so interesting uh, and revealing that all the systems are indeed connected because when we talk about diabetes we think of the pancreas and we we talk about hypertension we think of the heart but yet the kidney is what um actually you know receives the damage if we have suffered from those illnesses it is indeed uh, very interesting um i usually tell patients in my practice that kidneys are usually a bystander organ and they get hurt as collateral damage yeah. because whatever goes on in the rest of the system kidneys are not deemed as important in the whole organ uh, milieu of the body so blood goes away to your heart and to your brain to preserve those functions and so the kidneys get hurt in the mix yeah. in order to preserve the heart and the brain yeah and, and kidney disease is so prevalent now in this country and the things that we can do in treating it which we'll we'll talk about in a moment you know are challenging so if somebody has kidney disease what steps can be taken to slow the progression that's a great question because chronic kidney disease is indeed um very prevalent and increasing in prevalence in the united states like i said most common causes are diabetes and high blood pressure so if you have uh, been told that you have chronic kidney disease and you are seeing your primary care doctor then they will discuss with you at each visit or however often they're doing your lab work about what your kidney numbers are so i would say it is imperative that you pay attention to what they discuss as your kidney numbers there is a value called creatinine a value called gfr both of those are measured in your blood and in the urine they're checking your protein level so if your creatinine is high and you are spilling protein in your urine that means you have chronic kidney disease and yeah. in order to prevent the progression of it the answer is very similar to the previous answer that i gave that if you prevent worsening of diabetes worsening of your high blood pressure you will probably stall the progression of your kidney disease these days obesity or overweight is also a contributory factor to chronic kidney disease but mostly that comes through affecting and worsening your diabetes and high blood pressure as well the other ways would be that are in your control would be to avoid the certain class of drugs called NSAIDs which examples are ibuprofen meloxicam etc 
as much as you can hmm. um, because those are one of the more common drugs to cause kidney damage along with the antacids like protonics, pantoprazole, omeprazole, etc. So just use drugs judiciously in consultation with your doctor yeah. as and when you need them. Yeah, I, I think our culture has been leaning uh, to taking medication to solve all our problems because, you know, there's so much advertisement on television with regard to these drugs. And then people who watch television, which is most of us, uh, think that the answer for most of our problems is in taking these medications. And that's true. You are so right. Uh, there is a pill for every ill these days. But uh, <laughs> I think the judgment there comes in to use those judiciously. Yeah, interesting. We have to, we have to be careful. Uh, I don't know why that's been put in the hands of the public. Uh, it didn't used to be that way. But now it seems every other commercial on television is about a drug. Uh, so that's uh, the power of the pharmaceutical industry, I suppose. Yeah, I'd agree. But your doctor is your friend, so please consult with them whenever yeah. you're taking I, these drugs on a long-term chronic basis. Yeah, very interesting. So what types of renal replacement therapies exist for people with end-stage renal disease? Renal replacement therapy for the layman is a therapy that we would prescribe if your kidneys failed completely. And end-stage kidney disease, again for the layman, is when the kidneys completely fail to support your body. Kidneys do two things. They clear out the toxins from your blood. And through urine, they also get rid of the extra water or the fluid so that you don't go into heart failure or your legs don't swell up. So when someone's kidneys fail completely forever, that is end-stage kidney disease, then there are therapies that we can recommend to gain some form of kidney function until you can get a kidney transplant. So more common therapies that are known in the common public are dialysis, mm -hmm. and then there's kidney transplantation. Dialysis is a bridge towards the final therapy of kidney transplantation. Dialysis can be a few types. It can be hemodialysis, where the blood is cleaned out by a machine in a dialysis unit through needles in your arms, whereas there is peritoneal dialysis, which is cleaning of your blood through a tube in your abdomen so that your own body, abdominal membranes are cleaning out your blood for you. Hmm. There is a, so that's the home dialysis, uh, which is more the peritoneal dialysis, the more common type of home dialysis. Mm -hmm. But there is also a home hemodialysis, meaning that you can have the hemodialysis machine at your home and clean out your own blood through needles in your arms mm -hmm. by yourself. Yeah, so, so the, the patient has to learn how to do that, though. Yes, the patient has to learn to do home hemodialysis and the patient has to learn to do the peritoneal dialysis. Wow. So how does a person decide if and when dialysis is necessary or transplant is the right step for themselves or if foregoing renal replacement therapy completely is the right choice for them? These seem like very complex issues that a lay person would have difficulty on deciding. Absolutely. These are very difficult choices for the lay person who's uh, been asked to make these choices. I would say when your kidney function 
or your GFR falls to less than 20%, have these conversations at each visit with your kidney doctor or your nephrologist. It takes a long time to understand what therapy works best for your life values. Medically or technically, when I'm prescribing any form of renal replacement therapy, you know, a machine can later on, um, once, you know, human doctors are more and more augmented by machines, machines will probably uh, recommend a certain type of therapy over another type of therapy. But us as human doctors, we're forming relationships with our patients and trying to see what will work best for them because technically kidney transplant is the best choice and dialysis is to be used as a bridge to kidney transplant so when um, recommending dialysis a patient and their doctor at each visit can talk about it and you know this is not a conversation that will take one hour each time you take a little bite of information go home and process it come back, take another bite, go home and process it. And slowly you will come to a choice that will work best for you. Keeping in mind that our goal is still a kidney transplant. The reason being that dialysis, whatever type of dialysis it is, even if you're on dialysis with the prescribed therapy, you're probably still getting around 10% of cleaning that your own kidneys do. Whereas if you have a kidney transplant, then you're getting 50 to 60% or higher blood cleaning compared to what a normal kidney does. Wow. So what that means is dialysis is uh, effective, but not as effective as a kidney transplant. And kidney transplant is the way to prolong your life compared to any type of dialysis. Yeah, and the lifestyle also. I mean, while certainly it's a challenge to think that you have to have a kidney transplant, which is a major surgery, uh, relatively speaking, having to do dialysis is uh, several times a week for, for several hours a day. Um, this becomes part of the lifestyle as opposed to a transplant, which once done, uh, frees you to have a more normal life. I agree. Being on dialysis is like having a part-time job. Yeah. Um, and with a kidney transplant, it's like, I would say, having a baby when you're in, in labor <laughs> and delivery first, once you're getting the surgery, but then you have to take care of the child for the rest of time. So that is another type of job. But dialysis is definitely more resource consuming for a patient, time resource and emotional resource. Yeah, so interesting. The other thing that I've come to know uh, well through friends that I've met uh, through my podcasting and and my uh, Facebook groups and so forth is the fact that we have in in kidney transplant, the difference, you know, between kidney transplant and heart transplant is that we have living donors as opposed to only deceased donors. And so is there a difference in the quality of the kidney between a deceased donor and a living donor? Is there a preference between the two? Yes, I think that's an excellent question. Um, living donor kidney is always better than a deceased donor kidney if both of those are available at the same time for you to choose from. But for a person who does not have a living donor available, a deceased donor kidney is still a better choice than being on dialysis. Yeah, it gives us a few more choices. Obviously, uh, there is a shortage, uh, it seems, in the country of of when an organ can be made available. Even if people are volunteering to be living donors, the process is still complex and it doesn't always equal out. It, It may be that there are many people that have been willing to donate their kidneys, but actually for that to happen is is a complex process. 
that's correct and that's a discussion between the patient their transplant nephrologist and their general nephrologist on what is the best thing to do at that time once their living donors are being worked up and they are not yet on dialysis and are on top of the list for a deceased donor kidney transplant what is the best thing to do in that circumstance is a very personal discussion between the three parties involved. Yeah, and in fact, it involves that extra person, the donor themselves, who has to qualify and also be screened carefully to make sure that this operation uh, is a success. It's it's quite a thing. Yes. I'm going to just uh, shift topics, if I might. Um, you had mentioned to me that burnout is a hot topic amongst healthcare workers in general, of course, in the face of COVID-19. I think we've all come to know that. But you've also suggested to me that it's very prevalent in the nephrology workforce specifically. Can you explain why this is and why it has seemed to have occurred? Yeah, that's a a topic very close to my heart because I've seen a lot of nephrologists leave the nephrology workforce and become hospitalists. In, In my own area, there's been two people who are I would call I would still call privileged because they're males, middle-aged Caucasians uh, who have left nephrology to become another kind of doctor. So in 2011, the American Society of Nephrology realized that the interest in nephrology was decreasing and, and the workforce is being manned more and more by foreign medical graduates as U.S. medical graduate interest has decreased a lot in the workforce. The reasons being a poor quality of life for Mm. the nephrologist and that the field really doesn't advance a whole lot you know in cardiology there's a new drug coming out every so often but in nephrology except for the last year in the whole last 10 years there weren't any new advances Mm. Um, the lifestyle is poor for the doctor because in general you know how there's administrative uh, tasks for every doctor but in a nephrologist's life there is a lot of traveling between different dialysis centers uh, between different hospitals and their clinics and we feel that the time that we signed up for for seeing patients is being um, used up in just windshield time, in just driving. So I, I feel that that leads to a lot of burnout. In addition, the patients are very complex compared to if I was, uh, let us say, a family med doctor and I was seeing healthy 21-year-olds all day. Yeah. And somehow the reimbursement for the amount of work that you do is not matching up. And I think it's important for all of us to realize, doctors, patients, human beings in general, that, you know, we do this work of a physician as a calling, but then we also do it as a way to make a living. Yeah. But those those things have to go hand in hand. If one is overtaking the other, it doesn't always lead to a balance. And I think we've seen in the, in the face of COVID-19 that the job that you end up needing to do in the hospital for all doctors has become much more difficult, almost undoable in some circumstances with the critical care that people need now uh, in the face of COVID. Uh, so that's made things even more complex and even more challenging for doctors, certainly not what they've signed up to do. Yeah. And that brings me to this other thing that led to my own burnout was I was really practicing off the book in trying to help my patients. And in, you know, I'm still early in my career, but the book never said that all the treatments prescribed are being prescribed to human behavior. So these are not machines. 
the patients are not machines and the doctors are not machines so if we expect mm-hmm. perfection from either the doctors or the patients that really leads to burnout because i thought oh i'm doing everything right why are my patients not following this and it took me two pregnancies myself to realize that the doctor can prescribe what they feel is right for me but then i as a human will err and i need to give myself enough compassion as a patient to feel that it's okay if i was not perfect but my uh, relationship with my doctor is what finally defines how i'm going to do as a patient if if we stop expecting perfection from the doctor or from the patient and from a more human relationship because this is a chronic disease i think we might have less burnout both for the patient and yeah. for the doctor. Yeah, we're all human beings. I mean, I and and it's a it's a big factor I know going back to my situation as a heart patient, the selection committee for example, you know, who decides who gets on the list for a heart transplant and who gets those hearts once there is a match is extremely complex and is being decided for the most part by human beings who cannot be perfect. Uh, there's some talk about turning those decisions to artificial intelligence. Uh for example, just to take the burden away from the doctors who make these very um impactful decisions and after a while as you suggest, it creates uh if not burnout, some disillusionment on the on the part of the doctors. Yeah. I I think uh, artificial intelligence now I say this because I'm a tech entrepreneur that artificial intelligence machine learning at some point will you know surpass clinical decision making for doctors but we will that is human doctors will still be prized for our empathy and yeah. clinical judgment of when not to do certain maneuvers even if the machine recommends it right so I think we need to be trained in medical schools about empathy simulation of empathy yeah absolutely really important i can tell you as a patient again when i feel that my doctor cares about me gets to know me is empathetic in the course of the treatment it makes me feel better about going through the procedure and also in the healing i think is very important so though you're right Uh, part of being a doctor is not just being a machine and making those decisions but also having that very important relationship between uh patient and doctor so you're absolutely right so what steps are recommended for a person who wants to be off of dialysis and receive a kidney transplant i know it's not easy for people to get to the state where they can even be considered for a kidney transplant i think um number 1 is preemptive kidney transplant that means you don't even need to be on dialysis to be considered for a kidney transplant once your gfr falls to less than 20% and you're meeting with your nephrologist they will refer you to a transplant center and if you have living donor or if you've had a gfr of less than 20 for a while and you're on top of the list for a deceased donor then you may just get a kidney transplant and never go on dialysis that is the ideal way to go about it but for people who do end up on dialysis as a bridge to kidney transplant the resources are available all around you in your kidney doctor's office they can refer you for a kidney transplant evaluation in the dialysis center they can refer you for a kidney transplant evaluation and these days all transplant centers have made the process very easy in the sense that they try and club all your evaluations and testing in one day or two days of your visit to the transplant center 
even if you're 300 miles away and then uh, after that it is just waiting for the test and waiting for the organ yeah before you get transplanted and once you are transplanted then they'll probably require you to stay around the hospital for a few weeks or months until the kidney stabilizes you stabilize in in your post operative period and then hopefully you'll just see them once a year after that for maintenance right wow yeah it's important to be in the right hands certainly for patients to be informed on those uh issues so that they can know to make those decisions to be in the right place at the right time certainly for a transplant you've been involved in telenephrology now i guess in the face of covid-19 this uh certainly telemedicine in general has become necessary can you share a little bit about what that's all about telenephrology and is that something that's here to stay telenephrology uh was forced upon us when covid hit mm-hmm. in march of 2020 I had a health condition and I could not be in the hospital. So I was doing all care virtually and I was seeing my dialysis patients online, I was seeing my clinic patients online. Many of my clinic patients very much appreciated the fact that they didn't need to come in and they could just see me during their lunch break or from their home or whatever and like I told you most of the times chronic kidney disease is asymptomatic. meaning that there are no symptoms so we're discussing their blood pressure numbers their diabetes numbers and their kidney numbers which we can easily do virtually as well for those that were in uh, much later stages of kidney disease and wanted more human connection and sometimes who require physical examination were asked to come in and those definitely are not candidates for telenephrology but most of our chronic kidney disease patients can benefit from this resource similar to dialysis patients yeah now all of that is covered by cms laws hmm. i'm not sure how for how long yeah but i think it is very convenient both for patients and for the doctors Yeah, I think I think telemedicine is more suited to certain uh, specialties more than others obviously. I know my son who's a psychiatrist had started uh, of course to see some of his patients remotely and actually many of those patients preferred that because it took away the need to be uh, have to find a ride to the office and so forth and if those discussions could take place over a computer it actually was something that was beneficial for the patient on the other hand a specialty like dentistry which i was in would be quite challenging yeah. to do on the computer actually uh, for the most part almost impossible so yeah. um you know there's a, a certainly a, a spectrum uh, of how we can use the computer but it certainly was interesting how we adapted to the need to do things remotely uh in the in the presence of covid-19 and so we can say that it's been an improvement in medicine because we have saved office visits and time to be able to accomplish certain things that we could do remotely that perhaps in the past that we had done in person yeah it is interesting though gary that uh, most of the telemedicine during covid was still through telephone and not audio visually right so some of the kidney patients who are advanced kidney disease and are much more complicated would not be suitable candidates for telephonic uh, visits yes of course and similarly the dialysis patients whom i was able to see online because they were in a dialysis unit and the nurse was holding the ipad for them 
they lent themselves well to this kind of practice but if it was just telephonic then i would probably not have felt safe for them to be doing telephonically wow yeah this has all been so interesting thank you so much for all this information i have learned a lot i'm sure our listeners have also learned a lot so in closing i want to ask you are there any new therapies besides dialysis on the horizon for people suffering from chronic kidney disease there is a uh dialysis uh, that has been there since the 60s kidney transplantation is the way to go uh, i've been hearing about the artificial kidney and xeno transplantation mm-hmm. for a while i just read i think in the last week about a big organ being implanted yeah that was a big story yeah. this past week right right yeah but once if and when they come into common practice is when the practice of nephrology will change for the patients and for the doctors uh in terms of medical therapy there are new drugs for diabetes treatment uh that also prevent progression of kidney disease there are new anemia therapies which were you know previously there were injections and now there are pills so those are the new advances uh that i hope will help the patients yeah in improving their lifestyle a little bit I I think it's important for our listeners to understand that you know the development of these drugs uh, especially and and devices you know that have been used to help advance therapies for advanced diseases take years to be approved once they've been experimented upon you know we we're hearing about the you know the pig being used for the kidney replacement you know the reality is that that's going to be years before things actually come to fruition that's that's so true so I always advise my patients who have end stage kidney disease to not be shy about asking for a living donor kidney. Talk to your church people, talk to your friends and family and you will be surprised at how kind people are. Yeah, it's amazing. Living donation is the way to go. Yeah. for a patient with end stage kidney disease. And you're absolutely right. I've met extraordinary people that have donated their kidneys to complete strangers. Uh such compassion that is out there, uh such selflessness on the part of the donors. And I've been uh just had the privilege of getting to know them as friends in many cases. There's a lot of hope for the future because we do have wonderful people that are willing to be so selfless as to donate a kidney. Yeah, for sure. Well, Dr. Bro, this has been my great honor to have you as a guest on the Heart of the Matter. Um certainly be on behalf of myself and our listeners, I thank you so much for all you've done for the global organ advocacy community through your tireless work in kidney disease therapies and your extraordinary contributions and accomplishments with your dedication to extend people's lives and, and it's so important. Uh thank you for sharing this time with me. I hope we can do this again soon. Thank you for having me and I hope I helped your listeners. Oh, you certainly have done that. Um that is our podcast for today. Please join me next time for another intriguing, informative and entertaining conversation. Please visit our website. Uh it's really simple, theheartguyspeaks.com. Right into your browser will get you to all of the podcasts that I've done already. If you'd like me to host an online presentation for your group or organization or if you'd like to be a guest on the Heart Guys Uh, on the heart of the matter podcast please email me at theheartguyspeaks@gmail.com our podcast can be found on apple itunes iheartradio google podcast spotify and all you have to do is search the heart guy presents the heart of the matter and you will find it and until next time this is dr gary sherman wishing you peace and faith <laughs>